Uh, we're uh, in a, this is Ecclesiastes Sunday School. Um, it's going to be part two of what we started uh, last week. Um, the message of Ecclesiastes, what we're trying to say every time, is it's a it's a uh, it's one of the books of wisdom. So it is uh, teaching us how to live a good life in this fallen and broken world. You could say uh, Ecclesiastes says, "Fear God." to turn a vain and empty life into a meaningful life that enjoys God, God's gifts. Um, <clears throat> so uh, he's, he's very realistic. The, the preacher of Ecclesiastes says some hard things. He, he's saying, of course, Proverbs is part of wisdom. If you read the book of Proverbs, it's the ordinary expectations, but it's not promises. Uh, there are things that, uh, that flip your expectations upside down uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, let, me, uh, let me pray for us. Lord, uh, thank you for this book. Uh, it is um, raw. It talks a lot about death and about what can seem like frustratingly, uh, it seems like we're dealing with chance in this world. Uh, we know that's not true. We know that you're sovereign, uh, but this world brings pain uh, and questions. And so I pray you'd meet us in that. And Ecclesiastes, give us joy, uh, make us wise. In your son's name I pray, amen. Um, all right, so this is part two and um, of... We said two weeks ago that part of what Ecclesiastes wants to do is says if you're going to uh, live wisely, you have to wisely hate the right things. You have to see what's wrong with this world, what is not like uh, the good world that God made, and, uh, and, and develop a distaste for those things. But then also, he's going to say, because death is coming, because death is certain, because, because you really can't control everything, Here's what he, uh, I'm just going to read one of these. But he says this refrain, gosh, four, five, six times. Ecclesiastes 2, he says, There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment. From apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? That is not a throwaway statement. He's saying if you're going to live wisely in this world because death is coming because you can't control everything, he says one of the wisest things you can do is to enjoy the ordinary parts of life. Eat food, drink, relationship with others. Um, and that, I think that sometimes strikes us as odd. Uh, Martin Luther, though, supposedly one time was asked if he knew that Jesus was going to come back tomorrow, what would he do? Right? Would you go do something radical? Would you go on some mission trip? He said, I would plant a tree. He says, imagine what that tree would look like in the new heavens, new earth. That's the kind of thing that you begin to embrace the ordinary joy as, as God's gifts. It's, it's a place of wisdom. And so what we spent last week talking about is the, is the first step of enjoying God's gifts in the ordinary is to see them as gifts. Right? Remember we said, um, think about the difference between a, um, a, a vacation that's being paid for you. I, I use this example that my parents graciously gave us a free honeymoon trip. And so anything that was wrong with that honeymoon, I didn't care, I didn't have to pay for it, it was awesome. Uh, every meal was already paid for. But then the first trip that like I took my family on that I actually paid for, I was so mad, right? If, if something was wrong or if we were running late for something because it had to be good because that's the difference between merit and gifts. And, and Ecclesiastes is saying everything that you have, every good gift, every good thing in your life comes from the Father of lights above and see them as gifts. 
which means I don't grip them as if they're the only thing I have. I don't grip them as if they're life itself. I don't grip them as if I've earned them, but I, I receive them as gifts. And he says, you're actually free to enjoy those things if you see them as gifts. Um, and that's, uh, that's where we kind of stopped. We had some discussion about other stuff. So the second part, and this is where we'll, we'll spend our time, it's not only that we need to see ordinary good parts of your life as gifts from God, You've got to see what the, the writer of Ecclesiastes calls their your lot. So, um, sorry, let me get through these. It would be, all right, right here. He says this multiple times. Here's a little sampling. <clears throat> Behold, this is, a, this is Ecclesiastes 9, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the tool with which one uh, toils under the sun a few days of his life that God's given him for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Then in Ecclesiastes 5, behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil in which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God's given him for this is his lot. So I saw that there's nothing better than that man should rejoice in his work for that is his lot. So there's this theme again, again, not only is God, are these things God's gifts, but they are your lot. Um, so he's saying you, you need to recognize the things that are before you and that that is your lot. So combine a gift with your lot and your lot is simply the place, the place God has given you to be, the things that he has given you to do today, and the people around you to share those things with. That's your lot. And so really the question is, everybody has a lot. Do you see it? Or are you always looking for things that aren't your lot, trying to grasp at those things? Because he says, if you're always looking for something else, that's always gonna be vanity. Um, but he is saying like, okay, if you wanna know your lot that God has given, Look around, like this church, the people around you, the food you ate this morning, the, the bed that you woke up in, the warm shower you took, uh, the person that you watched football with last night, all of it, all of that is your lot, specifically given, designed for you by your heavenly Father that loves you. So, S1 uh, says this, open, the posture of the Christian life is to open your hands and to pay attention to what God has given and what he has not and receive it with humility and believe that he has given enough and enjoy it. So this is where it seems upside down. Ecclesiastes, when death is coming, because that's what Ecclesiastes is, is coming to everyone and, and, the, and the world cries out, where is God amidst death? The preacher says, look around. God is in the ordinary things of life. Those are his gifts to you. And, and so the Ecclesiastes is saying there's an intentionality in our every ordinary Monday and Tuesday that should be an intentionality to the way that we see the work that he's given us. Uh, that can be changing a child's diaper. <laughs> uh, that can be cleaning a house. That can be your actual you know, vocation. Seeing... Uh, uh, your spouse, if you have one, your shelter you have, and see God's presence in and with those things, that they come to you with his smile. 
So here's, um, oop, let me get to what. So here's the definition of lot. The life of every human consists mainly of this. We've been given a place to be, some things to do, a need for sustenance, and a people to share with. You start realizing pretty much everybody has those things. And that is God's lot for you. That's his gift to you. Do you see it? And then he says, the preacher invites us to see each moment as the means by which God pursues us among the pots and pans and marriage kisses of our lot. To accept this as our reality is to pursue God's visitation right where we find ourselves. <clears throat> so he's saying, like, God is with his gifts. God is, in a real sense, visiting you with his presence, with his gifts. If you'll see, this is your lot, and these are gifts from him. Um, so if you have kids, or, well, you know, or if you have good friends, or whatever, like, um, when you give your kids a present on their birthday, Christmas, or if you're a grandparent, it means you just give them gifts all the times and spoil them. I know what you do. Like, you realize there is like a, it's really interesting. You just love to see your kids enjoy the gift that you gave them. That gives you, like, when they scream for joy or play with the toy or enjoy the ice cream, that, that's it. You take a joy and seeing them enjoy what you gave them, right? That is a small reflection of what our Heavenly Father is like. That as, as you see your lot, even they, they, I know it feels ordinary because it's everyday stuff, but when you see them and you enjoy them and you recognize the giver behind them, he, he is smiling. He's watching you enjoy the things that he has given you. So when you taste a good cup of coffee or, or you take a warm shower, that's what I mean that his presence is with those and that he is smiling as you, as you enjoy those things because they're gifts from him. Um, and so I, we don't, it's communion Sunday, so we always have a shorter time and I'm gonna come back because I want you to discuss this, but. The preacher really is saying, have you learned how to practice God's presence in the ordinary? Or does he just get lost? Does he get lost in the next thing you've got to do or the things that you don't have or the worries about what's tomorrow? Or can you enjoy your lot and the gifts that he's given? And again, the preacher of Ecclesiastes it does not have this naive view of life as if there's not suffering going on, as if there's not death and there's not confusion. He says that all the time, but he's saying even in that world, you can see the, uh, the ordinary good gifts. Um, see that he intends to provide joy to you in his gifts and he is amidst them. So here's, here's the quote. At some point, we all have to come to terms with the spiritual truth that true joy is found in God and God is found right where his gifts are. God's gifts are our lot. This means that right here where we are is where God will be found no matter what ruckus death makes. I love that statement. It blends the harsh realities of this world, but also God is right here with you. Yes, he's living inside you by his spirit, but he also is giving you good gifts. So 
it makes me, and I realize this is an extreme example, and you might hear this and be like, well, that is super spiritual, Corey Ten Boom. Right, Corey Ten Boom, believer uh, in concentration camps in, in World War II. And if, if you've ever read like The Hiding Place, right, they, um, they start getting fleas in camp. And she, starts, she tells everyone to thank God for the fleas, that maybe this is his gift. And you're like, why would we thank God for fleas? Well, what they end up finding is the fleas were the very things that kept the guards from coming near them because they didn't want to get them, that enabled them to have prayer, that enabled them to have, uh, uh, encourage each other, share scripture with each other. And so they're thanking God for fleas and starting to see God's presence in them as God's gift because he's doing something with and among them. Again, I realize concentration camp fleas, that's extreme, but bring it into your life that even amidst suffering, there's always things we can thank him, thank him for. Um, yeah, uh, I think I really want to end with some discussion questions. Let me see what else I have. Okay, Aswan uh, gives, uh, gives this example. Uh, he talks about his grandfather. That, in other words, this is what it looks like to have wise enjoyment of ordinary amidst the harsh realities of Ecclesiastes. He talks about one time he called his grandfather, like he did on a lot of Saturday evenings. And he said, how are you doing, Grandpa? And you know, his grandfather said, well, we got up this morning, so it was a good day. You know, and, and he, he kind of laughed, but his grandpa said, look, Zach, when your grandma and I, when we wake up, we give thanks because at our age, waking up is not a promise. And then he said, if we have the strength to do what we had planned to do, we actually give thanks to God that we had the strength to kind of do what we planned to do because when you realize that strength and health can come and go every day, and that's from God. And he says, and honestly, if we, give, if we actually get a nap in the day, when we wake up, we give thanks to him. If it's dinner time and when we sit down to eat, we not only give thanks to God for food, but also that we can eat it and enjoy it because that's not guaranteed either. And then when we go to bed at night, he said, we look back over our day and we think about what we got to do and we thank God for it. And he said, today we went fishing and we have all these fish. So I guess the good Lord has a purpose for us today. That to me is what it begins to look like of someone saying, you know, we got up today and that's a gift. And at the end of the day, they look back and they look at everything they did and they, and they, they by faith, see that all that was a gift to him. And gratitude is coming out even as their body is wearing down, even as they're nearing death. And that, that real, look, there are so many things that I think the body of Christ can learn from each other. But one of the things I used to always tell my college students is one of the reasons that you need to be involved in a local church and a member, not only because it's commanded, but because you need to be around people that aren't just 18 to 22. There is a wisdom and a godliness that you will learn as you watch people who are married, watch people who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s and who love Jesus and the wisdom that comes from just them in the ordinary life because they've walked with Jesus. They, they're walking with Jesus amidst pain and suffering. And you just, you're, you're not gonna find that in just 18 to 22 year olds. So <clears throat> Brother Lawrence says this, um, once you start realizing what, what I'm trying to give you is a life of wisdom amidst wise hatred of things that are wrong with this world, but seeing everything as a gift from him. He says, sanctification, right? Becoming holy does not depend so much on changing our activities, though sometimes that could be the case, 
as it does, uh, as it does doing them for God rather than ourselves. Most of the stuff that you're already doing in ordinary life, work, <laughs> eating, drinking, play, relationships, right? This is what the Ecclesiastes right? says, those have already been approved of by God. That was in the Garden of Eden. Those, those are the commands to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were commanded to, to be fruitful and multiply, to work the ground. All that's been approved of. The question is, are you doing them for God or are you doing them for yourself? That's the flip of wisdom. Um, and if I'll see that there, everything is a gift from God and this is my lot from the Lord, then I, then I can do them for him. And that means life, here's my last appeal before we do the questions. This is uh, my friend Stuart Swain. He says, when you realize that life is a gift and this is your lot, that means life is not to be mastered, it's to be enjoyed. And that's really hard. Um, Jeffrey Miles says this, uh, realizing that this can, talking about life is not mastered but you enjoyed, can help you deal with life in a way that honors God. For example, do not be surprised to find yourself in a frustrating situation from which you cannot escape by means of controlling it. Not everything can be fixed. Not everything is a problem to be solved. Some things must be born, must be suffered, must be endured. Wisdom does not teach us how to master the world. It does not give us techniques for programming life such that life becomes orderly predictable. Man, that just frustrates us. We want to figure out how to get our hands on everything and have the formula of life so that every problem can be fixed and my life is orderly. And that is not a promise in the Bible. The fall is real and it's not going away until Jesus returns. And, and just think about, think about how, um, if not every problem can be fixed, how that's connected with your enjoyment of things. Have you ever been on a road trip with your family where you planned it out the day before, you know you can make it to Dallas in, in eight hours. If we leave at this moment <laughs> and we make this many stops, we will be there by four o'clock. How anxious are you the whole time? How much lack of enjoyment do you have when you're like, we can do this? We have to make it in eight hours. Every time a kid says he has to go to the bathroom, you're like, Ugh. right? Every time there's a traffic jam. But, but if I realize I cannot master this, then maybe you can actually enjoy the trip with your kids. Maybe, maybe the kid having to go to the bathroom, it doesn't ruin everything. It's a chance to get an icy and to be with your son. You know, like that's the kind of thing he's trying to get your, your hands around, that it is, life is not to be mastered, it's to be enjoyed. Uh, and then if you just think about Jesus, when God takes on human flesh in the incarnation, he absolutely, he absolutely brings holiness to the ordinary. Like, he was a carpenter. For, for most of his, really all that we know about Jesus, there's, a, there's basically a chapter about when he was born. There's this little section about when he was 12 or 13 and he stays in the temple and his parents don't know that he stayed there. And then the rest of the, the gospels are when he turns 30 in the last three years of his life. Which means roughly for 29 years of his life, we, don't, we, we have no recording. Why? Because he, he was the son of God. He was perfect in every way. But if you'd walk through Nazareth, he was just living an ordinary life, like eating, drinking, taking care of his mom, 
uh, doing the work of a carpenter? And because that's what wisdom in this, in this uh, ordinary life looks like. And he ends his life on a cross forsaken by the Father because he, all our idolatry, all our godless happiness, all our distraction in the ordinary, all our, our worshiping uh, things instead of singing those good gifts, he takes the, the penalty of that on himself so that you can actually see that everything is a good gift for, to you. Um, so yeah, the resistance movement that Ecclesiastes is telling you in a death-filled, seemingly chance-filled, chaotic, dark world is to embrace the ordinary joys. See them as a gift. See them as your lot. That's the resistant movement. So here's our, uh, oh, I forgot. This is a great last uh, quote. There exists a place of joy that the cruel walls cannot take away. That place is our lot. Our lot offers hope under the sun. Death is here, but God is here too. Death will die, but God is Emmanuel, God with us. Um, here's what I want you to do. We're going to take uh, five minutes and then discuss these. Um, thinking about hatred and joys. I'm trying to get you to think about those things, are, those things that we should hate are always there. Those things that we should enjoy are always there. But I'm, I'm trying to suggest that we miss them. And we definitely miss God's presence amidst them. So whoever's around you, what are some practices in your ordinary days that you can implement to grow you in wise hatred of the things that you should hate? And what are some practices you can implement that can, that can grow you in awareness of what your lot is uh, and how to be aware of his presence in those gifts? Um, and then if you have time, number three, you might not, but yeah, just even as we talk, what are some of the ordinary gifts from God that you miss in everyday life? Uh, and why do you miss them? So take about five minutes, discuss those, and we'll just end by, by hearing your answers. So, all right, you can start wrapping it up. All right, I want to hear from you. We got just a couple minutes. Tell me what you came up with. Any, any uh, practices you came up with just in your daily life about how you can become more aware about things that you should wisely hate or uh, practices to enjoy the good gifts from God? Anybody? I'm hoping to learn from you. So, anything? Okay, child travel. What do you mean? Like, like become aware of it? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, start becoming aware of uh, like how pervasive something like child trafficking is in our world, and even in the United States, uh, and let yourself weep over that and anger over that and just and want justice good what else dr doug you look like you got something dr doug good yeah actually having a second to pause and to thank god what we usually uh just blur through uh I think it was last week I talked about how, you know, Europeans take like three hours uh, to eat their meal. Uh, and and <laughs> they all laugh at fast food. And they're like, why would you speed through something that you're supposed to enjoy? Like, you know, uh, good. And actually take time. Good. What else? There's some wisdom from Mr. Buddy. Keep God number one in your life. And then... Uh, Every, everything else second becomes first class. There you go. Because you're saying that this is my lot. 
This is from him. Uh, and they're, they're a gift from him. These things are not to be worshipped. They're not to be kind of controlled and held on to, but they're gifts from him. Good. like that, buddy. Seems like something that Ecclesia, the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes would say. Anything else? Any ways you've learned to kind of cultivate a, uh, a heart of joy for gifts and a heart of kind of right hatred for things that are wrong? Oh, man, I was hoping to learn more from y'all. Moan? Good. Remembering. Yes, remembering. And that, that's a discipline. It's one of the, one of the um, most frequent commands in the Bible is to remember. And so remember his faithfulness in the past and use that as, a, um, as kind of a launch pad to know he's going to be with you in the future. And that involves, yeah, cultivating something. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, I'll kind of bring to close with this. He says, um, he says, think of something that you do every day for him. And I've tried to do this. I don't do it for him. It's, it's his drive home from work every day. And he said he finally, instead of kind of listening to his podcast or whatever, he forced himself to start doing something. He'd think back through his day and he'd identify one thing that kind of went wrong. Like, uh, you know. I like, uh, I wish I hadn't have said that to that person. And he would, he, would, he would think about it. He would repent. He'd give it to Jesus. And he would remind himself that God was with him even when he failed. And then he would force himself to think about something good that happened. So I'm trying to think. So like, um, remember the other day, right? I was dropping, dropping Clark off at school. And he stopped real quick and he said, hey, dad, I love you. Like, you could just go on with that. Or I could remember it, see that that's a gift from God, thank him for it, thank him for that gift, and enjoy his presence. And so he would just do every day. Again, that takes like three minutes on the way home. He reminded of something bad <laughs> that he needed to kind of weep over or wisely hate or repent and remind himself of God's presence. He'd think of something good and thank God for it. And it just slowly cultivates a heart of awareness of God's presence with, with everything. Uh, Shawshank Redemption, I'll wrap it up here. If you remember this moment, I think this is what the resistance movement looks like. Morgan Freeman's playing red and Morgan Freeman at one point in prison says, you know, I used to play a mean harmonica. But then he says, I've lost interest in that. It doesn't make much sense playing a harmonica in this prison. And Andy, sa Andy says, this is where it makes the most sense. You, you need to play the harmonica so you don't forget and he basically is saying, hey, here's the resistance movement in this just cold, dark place that wants to zap your hope. Play the harmonica. Here's the resistance movement of Ecclesiastes in a death-filled, cold, seemingly chance-filled world. Play the harmonica. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the drink. Enjoy the wife. That's the resistance movement that God's presence is here. So thanks for the discussion. Uh, it is 1030. And... Uh, we will carry on with Ecclesiastes. Now, uh, if you're gonna read ahead, we're doing Ecclesiastes 3 where he talks about a time for, every, you know, he goes through it. There's a time, there's a time, there's a time. So if you're gonna read about that, that's what we'll discuss next week. Thank y'all.